This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins Rama Bible Training Center, Nigeria. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. So, uh, we set out to talk about the authority of the believer. And we'll just um, continue. This is, we're going to have four sessions like this, as well as a few other things that you might want to know about that you'll get to find out. Um, and in the first session, we talked about those prayers of Paul, encouraged each of us, pray the same prayers for yourself over and over again, over and over again. And what you'll discover is that praying those prayers for yourself will do you a world of good. Or maybe there's some other believer who's having some challenges along some areas. You know, pray those same prayers for them. Insert their name there. And just pray it for them. That God will give them revelation knowledge, you know, of who we are in Christ. Believe me, it makes all the difference between success and failure. Between victory and defeat. Amen. Between reigning in life and being trodden under by the devil. It makes all the difference. Then um, we also said that that authority belongs to every believer. When we got born again, the legal right to use the name of Jesus became ours. In Mark 16, 17, Jesus said, And these signs shall follow, shall accompany the believing ones. The first of them, in my name shall they cast out devils. Uh, another translation says, in my name shall they hurl out devils. Another, in my name shall they exercise authority over devils. Now, those that believe, those that believe what? Well, to find out those that believe what, just read the context. Verse 15, and he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Of course, he that believeth the gospel. And he that believeth not the gospel shall be damned. So when he said, these signs shall follow them that believe, he's talking about those that believe the gospel. Anybody who is born again, the moment you got saved, the right to use the name of Jesus became yours. Nobody has more authority over the devil than you do. A believer or a minister who has been living a consecrated, separated life for a hundred years, you know, being a believer for 100 years, let's say he's 140, and he's been a, a Christian for 100 years, and for those 100 years, he has lived a separated life to God. Listen, he doesn't have any more authority over the devil than you do. Authority over the devil is a function of being born again. It's our birthright. Are you listening to me? We have that right to use the name. Belongs to every believer. But like I said, that something belongs to you, doesn't mean it will automatically work for you. You need to know what belongs to you. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. See, God is not going to bless us. He already has. But you see, there's the legal side of redemption as well as the vital side. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Legally, we've already been blessed. You know, sometimes there's an expression people make. You know, we say this, that people talk about giving their lives to Christ. I gave my life to Christ on such and such a date. We hear that a lot, right? The truth is, and that's okay, you could say that. But actually, you didn't give your life to Christ. You received the life of Christ. It was Christ that gave his life to you. Amen. You see, Jesus is God's gift for a lost and dying world. You say, that's just semantics. It's not just semantics. Sometimes we have this idea about Christianity that's a little faulty. You know, the new birth, sometimes people think the new birth is a commitment to stop sinning. You can stop sinning all you want to stop sinning, but that is not the new birth. That's not the new birth. My dad used to smoke. He smoked for 11 years. It was like a living chimney. He used to use one to light another. You know, his lips even got scarred through smoking. But then one, one December 31st, someone insulted him over smoking and he decided to quit. And he stopped smoking. Was that the new birth? No. He was a smoking sinner who became a non-smoking sinner. But he was still a sinner. My daddy used to drink. He took liquor for 20-somewhat years. You know? Then one time he was ill. And then he thought to himself, I teach this thing. I know 
the liver function test. I know the effect this thing is having on my system. What if I were to get to the hospital and they tell me my liver is damaged? I remember one day at a sitting, my dad finished a carton. I watched him do it, you know? So he used to drink and drink pretty heavy. But then he just decided one day he's not going to drink anymore and he stopped drinking. Never had another green bottle. You know, was that the new birth? No. He was a drinking sinner that became a sober sinner. But he was still a sinner. Yes, he did get saved before he died. But you see, the new birth is not a commitment to stop doing this or start doing that. You see, many times we put the cart before the horse. Amen. You see, the new birth is receiving Jesus as our Lord and personal Savior. The giver actually is God. We are the receivers. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And then John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. The only place in scripture, and you see, I can, I can, I can tell you, you uh, I, I can promise you $10,000. If you can show me certain things in the Bible, they are not there. <laughs> they are not there. You won't find them. And I was talking with a fellow one time who told me that there's the new birth. And at the new birth, you're saved from outward sin, but the root of sin is still in your heart. So you need a second work of grace called sanctification. Then after sanctification, you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, and that's the order. I said, really? He said, yes. I said, okay, can you show me one time where that happened in the Acts of the Apostles? This was in 1991. You know, he said, all right, he'll come and find it and show me. Well, he's still looking for it. He hasn't found it yet because really it's not there. I met the same person last year. We got to laughing about it. Amen. It's just not there. There are some things that are just not there. The closest to giving your life to God was when Paul was talking to the church at Corinth and he talked about them giving themselves to God. But you see, he was talking about people who were already saved. You see, what's the new birth? You know, there's something we call the gospel that's not the gospel. Sometimes you go to the sinner, you say, you're smoking, you're drinking, you go to hell. No, that's not the gospel. There's no good news to that. That's bad news. Besides, people don't go to hell because they sin. No. The truth is, God is not even holding the sinner's sins against him. That's the most ridiculous part of it. See, we preached everything but the gospel. Everything except the gospel. You know, someone talked the other time, I read it on Facebook, said he dares every pastor to preach tomorrow about you know a sinful world in the hands of an angry god and i said yeah i won't take that there you know i won't take that challenge because that's not true for god so loved the world he's not mad with the world he loves the world now if they now refuse to accept him then they're going to get into his wrath now, of course, you know we must pursue truth in a balanced way. And usually there's one ditch on this side and there's another ditch on the other side. But we must stay in the middle of the road. See, there are things that are ours legally. Legally, Jesus is God's gift to a lost and dying world. And God has not taken back that gift. Whether the world, uh, God hasn't taken back that gift. Whether the world acknowledges his ownership or not, Jesus still belongs to them. Are you listening? But you see, if you don't appropriate what legally is yours what you have access to you'll do without it you'll do without it what's the gospel the gospel is this that god was personally present in christ reconciling and restoring the world into favor with himself not counting up or holding against men their trespasses but canceling them and committing to us the word of reconciliation well i just quoted second corinthians five nineteen from the amplified bible that's what the gospel is see many people are going to get to hell and find out they're there for the wrong reason yeah they find out they're there for the wrong reason. Not because they were smoking, drinking, womanizing, all that stuff. That's not what takes them to hell. What takes them to hell is that they, they refused to accept Jesus. Now, don't say I said what I didn't say. I didn't say that. You are the one that's thinking that. You know, if you are. Oh, are you saying I can continue doing this and I'm okay? I didn't say that. You are the one that's thinking it. I didn't say it. I remember all liars will have their part in Lake that burns fire and brimstone. So you're not going to go lie on me and say, that fellow said it's okay to live wrong. No, it's not okay. You see, at the new birth, the life of God comes into our spirit. The new birth is about receiving Jesus. Come to Jesus as you are. Then you receive him into your heart as your Lord and personal Savior. You know, someone told me the other time that, you know, 1 John 1, 9 is written to the world. I said, really? If 1 John 1, 9 is written to the sinner as to how they can get saved, then you don't understand the gospel. 
you don't have to know the first thing about the gospel. God never told the sinner to confess his sins. If you have to confess your sins to get saved, there's nobody saved in this room. And I've never met anybody saved yet. Because there's nobody who has fully confessed all his sins. Because you couldn't remember them. For one, the piece of meat you took in the pot. Without mommy's permission. The other time you kept the change. The other white lie you told. You know, you can't remember all of them. In actual fact, that's not the deal. What's the sinner to confess to get saved? Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see at the new birth. God imparts his life into a man. There are different words for life in the Greek of the New Testament. One is anastrophe. Anastrophe means confused behavior. One is suche. Suche means natural or human life. Another is bios. Bios means manner of life. But there's one other word, zoe. Zoe means life as God has it. You know, life as God has it. And that life, when it comes into a man, it changes him. It changes conduct. It corrects habits. It forms new ones. Criminals become law-abiding citizens. Prostitutes become moral. Thieves become honest. Drunkards become sober. No case is incurable. The life of God changes a man. Now, there are some folks, they have that life, but they don't know what they received. And that's why they are still struggling. They think what they got when they got saved was forgiveness of sins. The truth is God doesn't even forgive the sinner's sins. He does something much more. Are you listening to me? He remits his past. There are three big words in the Bible. One is atonement. Another is remission. The third is forgiveness. The word atonement is not a new covenant word. Jesus did not atone for your sins. He didn't atone for mine either. You know, sometimes I just like to say things in a way to wake people up. Yeah. And did I hear that? Yeah, that's what I wanted you to do. In case you were feeling a little sleepy. He didn't atone for our sins. He did much more than that. To atone for means to cover. The word atone... Atonement, you find it only one time in the King James Version of the New Testament. And it was mistranslated. Romans 5.11 should have been translated reconciliation. You see, to atone means to cover. Amen. Now, I'll tell you something. You know, maybe it's revelation knowledge. But I'm actually wearing a white t-shirt. I am. Now, let's say as I was eating this morning, you know. Let's say I was eating rice. Well, I wasn't eating rice. But we're just assuming I was. Let's say some of the stew splashed. I hadn't worn my shirt, but I had that white t-shirt or not. That wasn't the case. It's just hypothetical. Some of that, uh, let's say some of that uh, stew splashed on my white t-shirt. And, um, but I checked the time and I said, wow, I can't afford to go get another one. Let me just keep this on and wear this blue shirt on it. And I would wear the blue shirt on it. Now, would you see the stain? You wouldn't. Why? Because it's covered, isn't it? See, that's what they had in the old covenant. Their sin nature, as well as the sins they had committed, were covered. It was still there. That's why some of the Old Testament saints, you read some of the things you did, they did and you just shake your head. That's why, don't go to Jeremiah, Ezekiel, I, you know, particularly those times when uh, Israel was backsliding. And think it's us and try to apply those to us. No. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. Yes, there are things you can learn from there. Are you listening? But listen, in the new covenant, when you got saved, your past was remitted. It was remitted. It stopped existing. One day I was reading in 2 Corinthians 7, 2. Paul said, I wronged no man. I defrauded no man. I said, no, that's a lie. What, what, what's that? Is it not that fellow that consented to the death of Stephen? Is it not that fellow that had letters to bind Christians? Is it not that fellow, you know, on his way to uh, Damascus? You know, who did much havoc against the church? And I went on and on, trying to reel out his CV as I thought it was. On the inside of me, the Lord said, shut up, young man. The fellow you are talking about died on the road to Damascus. Are you listening to me? There are Christians today that let the things that happened before they got saved they let those things hold them in condemnation and they let those things hinder them from taking their authority and exercising their authority and taking their place in christ that does not have to be the case are you listening to me at the new birth god imparted his life into your spirit 
God imparted his nature into your spirit and he changed you. Yes, we know this, that man is a spirit. He has a soul, lives in a body. Your soul was not changed. Your body was not changed. If you used to sleep around before you got saved, after being saved, your body will still feel like sleeping around. If you used to drink liquor, after getting saved, your body may still feel like drinking liquor. Now, there are some folks, all that bondage just breaks instantly when they get saved. Most people, that's not the case. But you see, your spirit has been recreated. Now, what are you to do then with that body and with that soul? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You see, the moment you got saved, God's life came into your spirit. If you will learn to walk in the light of that life, it will affect your intellect. It will enhance your personality. It will change those habits. It will enable you to walk in victory over the flesh, over the world, and over the devil. And that's God's plan for every single believer. At the new birth, we fell here to that authority. It's ours. It's ours. It's ours. But you see, what is yours and you don't know is yours won't do you any good. Let's say I had 10 million in a bank. 10 million US dollars. But I didn't know I had it. You know, it won't do me any good. Not any good. Not in the least. But what if I knew I had it, you know, but I didn't do anything about that knowledge? It won't do me much good either. Is either I learn how to use an ATM card, do an online transfer, write a, a check that will clear over the counter or go there and say, look, I don't have my checkbook, but I'm the one who owns the account. You could check my uh, check, the mandate of that account, you know, and I want to withdraw some money. If I don't do any of those things, what is mine that I know is mine, but I refuse to do anything about will not do me any good. And that's why we need to be taught. See, the world needs preaching, but the church needs teaching. Believers need to be taught. We need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know what belongs to us. Now there's a question. What is authority? What is authority? Remember in, you know, secondary school, my first economics class, we had this man. His name was Mr. Farotimi. He was telling us about what is economics. You know, usually that's the first thing you hear at the beginning of any course. What is that thing? What is this authority we're talking about? In Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, the American Standard Version says, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Now, the Greek word used for power in the second place was dunamis. The one that was used in the first place was exousia. So the first one really should be better translated. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power, all the ability of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You see, authority is actually delegated power. That's what authority is. Authority is delegated power. And the value of that authority Depends on the force that is back of the user. That's what determines the value of it. Now, who gave us the authority? Who gave it to us? Who said that? Jesus said, behold, I give unto you authority. So Jesus gave it to us. Well, who is Jesus? Who is he? Listen, he's the second person of the Godhead. He's deity. And the deity of the man of Galilee is the crux of Christianity. If that can be successfully challenged, then Christianity will lose its foundation and will cease to function. To say he was but a good man is to tell a lie. To say he was the highest expression of deity in humanity is to throw the lie in his face. Jesus either was or wasn't what he declared himself to be. You see, he's the second person of the Godhead. Amen. 
And um, the Bible says of him in John's gospel, the first chapter, from the first verse, that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God, all things were made by him, without him was not anything made that was made, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in darkness, the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, the same came as a witness, to bear witness of that light, that all men through him I believe. This is the true light that lights every man that comes to the world. He, he, he came to the world, even though the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. He came to his own. His own received him not. Verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power, the right to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, who are born not of flesh or blood or will of man, but who are born of God. And verse 14 says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. See, Jesus is the incarnate word. Amen. So he's the one that said, I give unto you authority. Who is he, by the way? Hebrews 1 from verse 1 through to 3 says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he hath by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of, of the majesty on high. You see, Jesus is the very outshining of the Father. He's the express image of his person. Amen. That's who he is. God's express image. So, if he said that, God said it. He listed. Remember Jesus said, I came not to do my own will. John 6, 38, but the will of him that sent me. And Jesus said, the words I speak unto you, they are not my words, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. John 14, 10. So when Jesus said, behold, I give unto you authority, it was actually God the Father. His words that Jesus was speaking. So who gave us authority? God the Father did. Listen, there's no higher authority than that. There's no high, higher than the most high. The most high gave us the authority. You can't get any stronger than that. God gave it to us. The word himself gave it to us. Amen. That means that God is the force that is behind that authority. He's the person that stands back of it. Amen. And what did he give us authority over? He said, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. See, serpents and scorpions are typical of the devil and of his power. Remember in Psalm 91 verse 13, he said, you will tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon, you will trample on the feet. Amen. Talking about the fiercest challenges of the devil. The Bible says we are to tread upon them. We are to tread upon them. Because that's where the devil is. He's beneath our feet. So, God gave us the authority. And that authority is over the forces of hell. Is over the hosts of darkness. Is over all of the might that the devil has in his arsenal. And that's the authority that we've got. God is the force behind it. You know, there are some of these folks, you know them, you know, someone's driving and then they stop you, say, wait till you carry, you know, stop. You know, and the guy tells you stop. For your own good, it's good you stop. Don't you think so? Because if you don't stop, willingly, you will stop unwillingly. Why? He has the uniform he's wearing, right? He has the authority of that uniform that it confers something on him. But then usually he has one other thing like this that can be cocked, you know? And that stuff can stop people, don't you think so? So if it tells you stop, you better stop because the authority is backed by power. Now, many times, rush hour traffic, this is Lagos. You folks know a lot about that, am I correct? Rush hour traffic, you know? Maybe there's a junction and then there's a policeman. You know, we used to call them yellow fever. Yellow fever guys, I used to do this way back then. I don't know. I don't see many yellow fever guys anymore. You know, well, yellow fever is not a good term. Bless my heart, you know. But when that fellow, sometimes crony looking too, slim, maybe smallish, he just lifts up that hand to that oncoming vehicle. You know, it could be a 911 or whatever. It could be a truck carrying whatever. When that fellow just puts up that hand, you know what happens? Everybody stops. Why do they stop? Is it because he has the physical force 
to stop those vehicles. He doesn't. They could crush him. He doesn't need the physical force. He has something better. He has the authority invested upon him by the federal government of the country to do that. Now, what's the value of that authority? Depends on the force that is back of it. The federal might of the country stands back of it. Well, everything being equal, in places where laws actually are laws, if a policeman tells you stop and you decide not to stop, you know, or you uh, uh, violate a light, no problem. Your particulars have been captured. If need be, your car could be impounded. Why? Because there's a might that is behind the authority. Do you see that? So, authority is backed by power. And you see, the authority of the believer is also backed by a power. Ephesians 1, from verse 16, Paul said, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And notice, what is the exceeding greatness, the exceeding greatness of his power to us world who believe. You see, the mightiest work of God ever wasn't at creation. The mightiest work of God ever wasn't when he made the sun or when, you know, the six days of creation. That wasn't God's mightiest work. It wasn't when he made Jupiter or Saturn or Pluto or Mars or Mercury or the Milky Way galaxy. And we're told there are so many other galaxies out there. We're told that the stuff is expanding at the speed of light. That wasn't God's mightiest work. What was God's mightiest work? It was in raising Jesus from the dead. The mightiest work of God ever, ever, was in raising Jesus from the dead. And um, I might be able to explain why I say that in a bit. Amen. So you see, the exceeding greatness of God's power towards world who believe, the exceeding greatness of the power of God is at work towards us. But the power that's at work towards us can only be likened to one thing. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above. See, if he had said above, that was above enough. But he said it's even above being above. It's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come notice this says and has put all things under his feet where did he put all things under his feet and he gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all you see when the head was raised the body was raised and the forces of hell are not just beneath the head. They are beneath the body. And notice it says the church is the body. The church is the body. And Jesus is the head. And he said all oh, those principalities, powers, might, dominion, every name named in this world, the world to come, they are far beneath his feet. I want to ask you a question. Where are your feet? Are your feet on top of your head? Over your head? Where are your feet? They are part of your body. In actual fact, your feet are the lowest parts of your body. Everything being equal, that you don't walk on your head. And you don't walk on your head, really. You don't have feet there to walk. Amen. So your feet are the lowest parts of your body. Whether you are standing or you are sitting. They are the lowest parts of your body. Are you listening to me? The lowest parts of your body. And all the hosts of hell are beneath his feet. And who is the body? We are the body. Let me tell you something. You see, the weakest member of the body of Christ, the weakest, that fellow who has a big trouble living a consistent Christian life, who is yo-yo, like sine curve, you know? I studied mathematics. I like that stuff. It just, something about it just, just turns me on. <laughs> Amen. I love it. Gets this in my blood somewhere, you know? That Christian who's having trouble living a consistent, victorious life, Listen, that weak member of the body of Christ, that fellow who is the left toenail on the left foot of Jesus, or who is a, a cell on the sole of his, of his left foot, are you listening? The devil is still far beneath you. 
the devil is still far beneath you. The devil is still far beneath you. Amen. The devil is still far beneath you. The devil is far beneath you. We've got dominion over him. Now there are Christians who won't go to their village because there's one witch. Yeah. Sometimes they'll say, well, if they give you, who gave you? Don't eat it. Bless it and eat it. If God tells you don't eat it, don't eat it. If God doesn't tell you don't eat it, eat it. Every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused. If it be received with thanksgiving, it's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Oh, they poisoned the seat for me. Sit on it. It's okay. Amen. Said, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the ability of the devil. And it's not a prayer point. Hey, I want you to pray that the devil does not get me. No. You are far above the forces of hell. You are far above the powers of darkness. And we need to know it. We need to know it. I was on a plane one day, some years back, over one ocean. Suddenly an announcement went off. Such and such pieces of equipment are not working. We don't know the distance we are from the ground. We're going to have to look for how to get this plane down. International flight. You know, you say, what did you do when you did, heard that? I'm sure you started praying. No, I didn't start praying. See, when I left my country, I said I was going to such and such a place. I wasn't there yet. And there's no use to start praying now. Then it means I didn't mean what I said then. It's just like Jesus told them, let us pass over to the other side. And after he said that, he slept off. Yeah, I follow his example. I just lay down and slept. Say, how can you sleep under a circumstance like that? It's not about me. You see, it's about whose I am. He who keeps Israel, he doesn't slumber, he doesn't sleep. You see, we've got authority. We've got authority. We've got authority. We've got authority. I've come face to face with death too many times. Too many times. I've had a gun stuck at me. I've had bullet pulled, the trigger pulled. I've had all kinds of things. But I told myself, no, I'm not going yet. No. He said, with long life, he will satisfy me. And he will show me salvation. You will not hear I died young. You won't hear it. You know why? Because I won't. And it's not a prayer. It's a fact. It's a fact. Can a Christian die young? He can. But I choose not to. Paul said, I'm in a strait betwixt two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Said, nevertheless, the body in the flesh is more needful for you. Said, that which I will choose. I will choose. I will choose. You know, sometimes a Christian dies. They say he answered his home call. It's not true. God doesn't call Christians home. It's not a home calling. It's a home going. You say that semantics. It's not. It's not. If God called you home, maybe your, your name was Ananias or Sapphira. In judgment, stuff like that. No, it's not a home calling. It's a home going. You see, we've thought, and folks will tell you that it's appointed unto man when to die. It's not. God doesn't have a set time for you to die. And God will call me home when he's ready. No, he won't. You've given it into the hands of the devil. No, it's your decision. Are you listening to me? If I were to invite you to my house, put food in front of you, and tell you eat until you're satisfied, who determines how much food you eat? Am I the one? No, it's not my tummy, it's your tummy. And what did God say? He said, with long life, will I satisfy him? God wants you to keep living until you're satisfied. Yes. You see, God said to Israel, Exodus 15, 26, it says, <laughs> if you will hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord thy God, will do that which is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, keep all his statutes. He said, I will permit none of these diseases upon thee, which I have permitted upon the Egyptians. That's how it is in the Hebrew. Not put his permit, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Said in Exodus 23, 25 and 26, and ye shall serve the Lord thy God, and he will bless thy bread and thy water. Said, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall none cast their young and be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. That's what God said. Well, how many is the number of our days? As a bearest minimum, bearest minimum, bearest minimum. See, Moses wrote Psalm 90 as well as Psalm 91. And he was actually lamenting in Psalm 90. The number of our days, verse 10, are three score years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, they are soon cut off. Now, some people go for Genesis 6-3, where God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man in that his flesh, the number of his days shall be 120 years. I see that a little differently because 120 years from that time was when there was the flood. So, and I seem to see that that was what that was talking about. Amen. Besides, 
David died at age 70 and the Bible says he was full of years. So, that informs my thinking on this. Psalm 90 verse 10 said the number of our days are three score years and ten. Three score is sixty and ten. That's sixty plus ten, seventy. Said and if by reason of strength there be four score. So listen, God has promised us a minimum of seventy or eighty. If you get to be seventy and you are satisfied, that's okay. If you get to be eighty and you are satisfied, you can go home, but don't live for anything less. And if you are not satisfied at eighty, then keep living. In Psalm 91 verse 16, he said, with long life will I satisfy him. If it takes you 120 to be satisfied, good for you. It takes you 150 to be satisfied, good for you. Believe God for as much as you can. Amen. And who said that old age means you won't be able to chew meat? Who said that old age means we'll be, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be putting you in the sun to dry? No, that's not old age. No. Romans 8, 11 says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. See, I'm not telling you theory. I used to be so sick that sick people called me sick. And believe me, that was pretty sick. My dad walked in a hospital. My mom walked in the same hospital. I was so much in that hospital, you'd have thought I walked there too. But you see, I found out some of these truths. I found out some of these truths. Well, that's my wife there. She's never seen me sick. She's seen me tempted to be sick a few times. But I haven't had a headache in decades. Are you listening to me? I tell people all the time, if you need medical help, go and get it. Don't feel condemned about it. Proverbs 18.9 says in the Amplified Version, the latter part of that verse, that he that doesn't use his endeavors to heal himself is partner to him that commits suicide. Don't commit suicide. I've seen Christians, not because they have a persuasion in God's word, no, but because they heard what somebody else did. See, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven twenty nine that by faith, the children of Israel, they passed through the Red Sea as of a dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. What happened there? Israel, they got to the Red Sea. Uh, the Egyptians were coming to recapture them. On one side was mountain, the other side was wilderness. Then they cried to God, what do we do? Then God said to Moses, stretch forth your rod, go forward. Then what did Israel do? They acted on that word. And then the Red Sea got parted. Well, the Egyptian army came behind them. And they saw some people acting on God's word. And they acted on their action. And you know the rest of the story. They died. Don't be a casualty. See, faith grows. I've heard people who say stuff like, you know, maybe they got diagnosed with something. Let's say cancer, for instance. And the doctor says, you need surgery right away. And then they'll say, no. I believe God. This is the same person that didn't believe God when he had tummy ache. This is the same person that didn't believe God when he sprayed his ankle. This is the same person that didn't believe God when he had a headache. Now, of course, I know there are times when people are in desperate situations, they get earnest and they actually do believe God. But sometimes too, they are not believing God. That confession is not a confession of faith sometimes, a confession of fear. Are you listening? They are afraid of the surgeon's knife. Are you listening to me? So don't condemn yourself. If you need medical help, get it. It's not the devil that gave man that knowledge. God did. The doctor is fighting the same devil the preacher is fighting. He's using natural methods. The preacher is using spiritual methods. So don't feel contempt about it. If I couldn't believe God for $2 million, but I could believe God for a million, I'll take it gladly. Are you listening to me? Yeah, but you see, there's also such a thing as divine healing. There's such a thing as divine health. And these things are a part of the things that belong to us by virtue of the authority we have in Christ. Proverbs 4, 20 to 22 says, My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For their life unto those that find them. And their health to all their flesh. The Hebrew word health is mapi. It means also medicine. God's word is medicine. And just like natural medicine can be curative or preventive, God's medicine is also curative, it's preventive. You see, the good thing is I'm glad I got a hold of these truths early. I didn't have a time when I was in religion, then I had to unlearn religion. No, I'm grateful to God that I had my spiritual teeth cut on these things. I got a hold of them pretty early in life and I just immersed myself in them. I told myself long ago, nobody's going to call dog monkey for me. No, I won't let anybody do it. No matter who says what, I will check the Bible for myself. Greatest thing Kenneth Hagin Ministries did for me was to let me know 
that God's word is the highest authority. The highest authority. Brother Hagin will often say, if you don't find it in the Bible, don't take my word for it. You see, so that drove me to study the scriptures. That drove me into the word of God for myself. That drove me. I told myself, if this is real and I know it is, then it will be my reality. It will be my experience. I will prove that it works. And I'm just that dogged. I don't know how to quit. I don't know how to give up. I'm a fighter. Praise God. And it's either I win or I win. <laughs> I'm an incurable optimist. Incurable optimist. Praise God. So you see, we've got authority. We've got authority. And that authority is over all the ability of the enemy. And that authority is valid for us for all time. And every single person who's in Christ on the planet got authority over the devil. We've got authority over the devil. You know, there are some people you can follow their faith, not their doctrine. John Alexander Dowie was a man like that. And there are some folks too, their doctrines are a bit off in some respects. But they're people of faith. And you can follow their faith. One time, P.C. Nelson told Kenneth Hagin this. He said there were five of them denominational ministers, two medical doctors. There was this lady, she had a, a cancerous growth, you know, about the size of her head on the side of her face. He said, Dowie, in the presence of all of them, looked at the lady and said, in the name of Jesus, and stripped off the growth. <laughs> That's some faith. He said, the doctor examined it, and the skin there was like the skin of a, a baby. She was instantly healed. Now, you can follow the faith of a man like that. You know, Dowie said, he crossed the Atlantic Ocean 14 times. And during those crossings, storms arose different times. And, you know, they didn't have the kind of equipment then that we have today. And some of those storms could have been fatal. He said, but what did he do? He just did what Jesus did. He spoke to the storm. Yeah. You say, is that real? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We've got authority. We've got authority. You know, sometimes you hear insurance covers. They'll say, well, this insurance cover engages earthquakes, you know, accidents, and other acts of God. Every time I've heard it, something on the inside of me just gets mad. I don't know whether it's just me getting angry or it's just righteous indignation. Listen, those things are no acts of God. They are acts of the devil. They weren't here until Adam committed treason. And then Satan became the God of this world. And then Satan began his reign of tyranny on the earth. But the good news is that not where the story ended. There was a second Adam. And the Bible says, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Amen. Jesus defeated the devil. He brought him to naught. One translation says, having disarmed principalities and powers, Colossians 2.15. Another one says, having stripped principalities and powers. Another says, having put away from himself principalities and powers. Hebrews 2.14 and 15. Says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. You see, he had the power of spiritual death. He doesn't have it anymore. Jesus destroyed him and delivered them. Who all through their lifetime are through the fear of death subject to bondage. See, Jesus has already delivered us. Jesus has already destroyed the devil. Rotherham says that he might paralyze him that had the power of death. He paralyzed the devil. He paralyzed. Another translation says that he might dethrone. See, the devil has been dethroned. He has been deposed. He's no longer on that throne. He's not. There's a new sheriff in town. And listen to me, you are that sheriff. You are that sheriff. You are that sheriff. You are the devil's boss. You are the devil's master. You call the shots now. You say, me? I thought it was Jesus. Yeah, you are in him. Romans 5, 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign, 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 reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. We are to reign in life. See, poverty is not reigning. Are you listening? Some people think being poor is being humble. There's nothing humble about poverty. Nothing. Nothing good about it. You know, I don't want any of this world's goods. I didn't know when the world had goods. 
You see, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to your daddy. The gold and the silver belong to him. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. Now, of course, just like any truth, you know, we must stay in the middle of the road. On one side, there's materialism. And God doesn't want us to be materialistic. The love of money is still the root of all evil. Covetousness is still idolatry. So God doesn't want money to have us. But believe me, he wants us to have money. Amen. Praise God. And we have authority in the area of finances. We have authority to reign in this life. We have authority to walk in dominion over the devil. We've got that authority. Amen. I think that was the warning bell, right? That was the warning bell. Okay, so I wait the last one. First John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. You see, we are not trying to overcome the devil. We have overcome them. We have overcome them. Talking about Satan and his cohorts. Why have we overcome them? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The greater one is in you. He is bigger than the devil. You know, this is southwest Nigeria. We speak Yoruba here, right? Largely. Even people who are non-Yoruba, many of them can speak it. Ah, we hear that kind of stuff. We hear all that kind of stuff. You know? Listen, who makes aye aye? The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in aye. Aye is aye because of the devil that is the God of it. But the one in you is bigger than the devil. The one in you is mightier than the devil. The one in you is stronger than the devil. Remember one man, he was trying to curse me one day. I said, if I were you, I wouldn't try that. The truth is, I dare you. I hope you have your own works. I hope he's original. I hope he's not fake. Yeah, but for what's good for you, don't try it. Listen, no weapon formed against me can prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me in judgment, I condemn. Surely there's no enchantment against Jacob. And there's no divination against Israel. You know, there was one time, my younger brother is here. You know, he'll confirm this story. You know, some folks came, they said, someone cut some of my hair. Uh, this was many, many years back. I'm going to use it to do something against me. I laughed. I laughed so hard, I fell on the floor laughing. I said, well, in case anybody knows the person, they can tell him to come back. If he wants my fingernails also, I'll give him. If he wants my toenails also, I'll give him. If he wants my mother's name, my mother's middle name, my mother's mother's name, my father's name, my father's mother's name, my father's, I'll give him free of charge. And I won't pray about it. You know why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And that one is not any more in me than he's in you. We've got God in us. You know, they ask, what thing you carry? Listen, you carry God. You've got God on the inside of you. Come meet in 1992. Kenneth Hagin was reading something out that John Lake had said. John Lake said some preachers talk so much about the devil, it makes him so mad he wants to curse. Said so they talk about God like he's a dwarf a few inches above the ground. Then they talk about the devil like he's a giant so many feet into the sky. Then you know what Lake said? Said to hell with them preachers. Brother Higgins said I felt the same way I just couldn't say it. <laughs> See many of us feel the same. And I think he, he, he actually just said it. <laughs> Amen. See the devil has been defeated. Stop, stop giving him attention. Stop, stop bragging on him. Stop talking about his works. The devil did. The, the devil that. The devil the other one. See, Charles Cap said there was one time he was praying. At least so he thought. Said the Lord asked him, what are you doing? He said, I'm praying. Said the Lord told him, no, you're not. Said you're complaining. And the Lord said, I'm tired of hearing you tell me what the devil said. When will you start telling the devil what I said? Amen. You see, we've got authority. We've got authority. We've got authority. And the force behind our authority is God himself. You see, the basis of the believer's authority is the resurrection and the seating of Christ at the right hand of the Father. That's the basis of it. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Bible scholars, some Bible scholars say that Ephesians 1.19 is the most powerful verse of scripture in the Bible. Well, not that I agree with them, but this is their reason. That of the six words for power in the New Testament, four of them are used in one single verse. Kratos, Ischos, Energio, Dunamis. 
Amen. The exceeding greatness of his power to us world who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. See, the power that did that is the power to walk towards you. The power that did that is the power back of your authority. So it's like that policeman. He tells the fellow, stop! And then he takes his gun and cocks it. And he points it. You better stop. Because either way, you will stop. You either stop willingly or you stop unwillingly. Or you are stopped. Why? Because he has the authority as well as a power that is behind it. You see, that devil has already been defeated. Why do you think the Bible says, you have got little children and I've overcome them? When did you overcome the devil? When did you fight the devil? You see, when Jesus, Jesus was not a martyr, he was our substitute. Our sin nature was laid upon him. He became a curse for us. He became poverty for us. Our sicknesses were laid on him. Isaiah 53. Who have believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form, no comeliness. When we should see him, there is no beauty we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely... Not maybe so. Not let's hope so. Surely he hath borne our griefs. That's the Hebrew word makob. Literally sicknesses or diseases. And carried our sorrows. The Hebrew word koli means pains. Amen. He took them. Why did he take them? So you don't have to take them. So you don't have to take them. So you don't have to walk in the curse. And if you are in Christ, you have more authority than you have imagined you did. More authority than you have imagined you did. What's the essence of this course? Is it just to jump all over the place like an overcurious monkey? Or to just quote scripture? Yeah, I didn't come to quote. If I really wanted to quote, I could quote. But that's not the idea. It's so that we know who we are. So that we take our place. And kick the devil in the butt. Physics, they told us. Newton's third law of motion. To every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And some people thought God and the devil are equal and opposites. No, they're not. One is the creator. The other is a creature. The devil is one angel who lost his job. Are you listening to me? God created the dude with a blast of a breath from God's nostril. He can blow him out of existence. There wasn't a contest between God and the devil. But why did Jesus fight him in my stead? In your stead. In our stead. See that victorious life. Is the life we are to live. Well I got to quit. Because I'm out of time. We are not done with the taster. For more information and inquiries. Please visit our website. www.remanigeria.com Or you can reach us on. 08100163948 or 08076576163